Hello, this is Bill Warner with another podcast on anything and everything related to political Islam. This is an interview by Peter McIlvaney of the heartsofoak.org organization. This was done on October 8, 2021. And hello, Hearts of Oak. Thank you so much for joining us on another guest interview. And it is my honour to have Dr. Bill Warner from the Centre for the Study of Political Islam joining me today. Bill, thank you for your time today. Well, thank you. This is what I do. For 20 years, I've done with nothing but except deal with the doctrine of political Islam. Well, we, we, we will go deeper into that. And I think we're going to the title we had picked for today was why are people so scared to have an honest debate about Islam? So, yes. Right. Right. The reason I was attracted to doing the interview with you, and I do a lot of interviews, was the title, Hearts of Oak, mm. because that struck me as exactly what we're missing. It's not brains of oak we're missing, it's hearts of oak. Because I thought, I was so naive, I'm, an, I'm a scholar, and so I love new knowledge. And I thought when I wrote my books, Quran, Sirah, Hadith, that is the life of Muhammad and the political traditions of Muhammad, that people would say, oh boy, here we can learn Islam, now it's been, been made easy to learn. And it has been made easy to learn. The audience I write for is the taxicab driver, the plumber, not the college professor. So I wrote, I write for the blue collar guy. And yet I find that people don't want to read it, not because it's difficult. I take the example. The smallest book I ever published was on Sharia law. Hmm. And, and I published it as a small, really small book. It was the first of the small books I published. And the reason I published it so small, it was written as propaganda, using the word propaganda in the old sense of the term, telling our side of the story. That I thought, I'll have to make this thin for them to read. So I designed, excuse me, I designed the book to be one eighth of one inch thick. That's a small book, but I wanted it to seduce the reader. I wanted to make it easy. Anyway, so I remarked to somebody that the book could be easily read within less than an hour. He says, no, it cannot. This is what he mean. It's a little bitty book, almost a pamphlet. He says, well, every sentence gives you something to like, oh my word, holy cow, this is terrible. What are we gonna do? So he said, it took me a long time to go through the book because it presented so many new ideas. So I found this interesting in the sense that people are told that Islam is just like us. That's the reason we fought in Afghanistan. We knew that if we gave them roads, bridges, schools, that they would be just like us. Little did we know that they preferred the Taliban to us. So we have different cultures here. And so, when I, but when I saw your title, Hearts of Oak, I decided I'd like to talk about something, not just Islam, but how do we accept the knowledge about Islam? Because that's what's difficult. When I wrote my books, I thought people would run to come get them, but indeed they did run, Peter, but they ran in the other direction. <laughs> no, exactly. I, 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 well, well, we'll get to that in a moment. Can I just let people know 
where to find. So, um, as always, I want to uh, encourage our viewers to go and to go a bit deeper. If by the end of this, you really do want to know more, want to go deeper, we've covered Islam with many uh, different speakers before. Those are the details underneath the cspii.org, the Center for the Study of Political Islam. Also, politicalislam.com is Bill Warner's personal site that was started uh, before. And of course, the videos, Rumble, it's wonderful to see a push on Rumble, uh, which is a free speech platform for the moment anyway. So that's rumble.com forward slash C forward slash political Islam. And you'll find all of Bill's videos there. So I encourage our viewers to go and make use of that and those resources which are available. Um, and well, I've I've known your name probably from when I first heard of Islam, and and as you commented, people ran away. I remember very vividly the first uh, the first hour I heard, and that was with uh, Sam Solomon. That was in a church meeting, and uh, I a was, wonderful man he is, and. I, uh, some, he had been speaking in our Bible school and I was told to go and bring this man up to address some of the, the church leaders, the pastors. So we brought him up. He said he had 10 minutes, one hour later, complete silence. So I, I remember that. And then you wonder what to do with that information. Um, and you've spoken at many places. I mean, you're a, you're a public speaker, an author, a blogger, an educator, critical thinker, which we need more of, uh, debater, human rights activist, a scientist. You got your PhD in maths and physics. So you have a very wide range and broad level of responsibilities. But I remember when I first heard, and you have spoken at so many audiences if you can just touch just a few minutes on what what you have done what you've spoken about and then we'll go into people's responses or non-response but you've spoken to so many audiences uh, to people about islam can you give us an insight to what you present and how you engage with those audiences i mean we've obviously been in lockdown and haven't been able to do that but for decades you went face to face into all different audiences, large groups, small groups, and you've engaged with them and presented to them. Um, what what do you present to those audiences? Well, I present to them the facts of Islam. I explain to them, I want you to be the expert. You, the audience, to be the expert. I want you to understand what Allah says in the Quran, and the Quran has been made readable. I want you to understand who Muhammad is and what he did and why that's important. So my younger brother said once I wrote the first three books, a simple Quran, political traditions of Muhammad and Muhammad and the unbelievers, which is the Sarah, the official biography. Mm -hmm. He says, Bill, you will be talking about these three books for the rest of your life. And boy, was he right. <laughs> so I've talking with all kinds of groups. There was a while here after 9-11 and I just published my books that people were interested in hearing about Islam. I spoke to large churches, small churches, uh, large political groups. Uh, there was almost no kind of person that I didn't speak to, except mm. I even got to talk once in a university. Once. Wow. After, after, after I did that one talk, the university told the person who arranged it, who was a member of a conservative club, they said, never bring someone like this onto this campus again. You want to go to law school, you will never go to law school if you bring a person like this. Mm. So, Part of what I've <clears throat> talked to is audiences, but the, the largest number of audiences are not available to me. I've been censored by Google, Facebook, 
Southern Poverty Law Center, hmm. Twitter. So, and by the way, all my censorship happened over a period of about two months. Okay. Wow. But anyway, I've spoken with many kinds of people. I'll talk to anybody. I'll talk to Muslims. As a matter of fact, some of the most interesting conversations come from talking with Muslims. Mm. I love to see, one of the things I admire about Muslims is that if we give a group, if we go to a, if we cre create a talk for me at a church and say 500 people come, two or three Muslims will show up to ask questions. The reverse never happens. Mm. That is, if there's Muslims who are having a meeting, Two or three Christians or two or three anybody's will never show up to ask difficult questions. Why? They're afraid. Mm. But I find that Muslims enjoy debate about this topic of religion. In America, we're told never talk with the religion or politics with a stranger. But I find that Muslims are more than willing to do so. I have as a college professor for some years and I was very relaxed in my attitude about being a professor and people coming by my office and stuff. And there was one Muslim in particular who was a Shia Muslim who took it upon himself to convert me. I did not try to discourage him. As a matter of fact, it encouraged me to read the Quran cover to cover again. So I'll talk to anybody in under any situation about political Islam. And that, by the way, is one of my contributions to the discussion is the, the concept of the term political Islam, because I have no interest in the religion of Islam. Hmm. I'm, I'm not attracted by their heaven and I'm not afraid of their hell. What I'm concerned is that political Islam is the part that affects you and me, the non-Muslim. And can I ask you to, about that term? Because as I've looked at it, you see Muhammad being everything. He was a political leader. He was a religious leader. He was the judiciary. Um, he uh, held the country together. So he was the head of state, in effect. He was a warlord. He was uh, he, everything. Um, you focus on the political side. What does that mean to focus on that? Well, let me give you an example. In Europe and in, now in the United States, on Friday, the Muslims will commandeer a street. They'll shut down a street for Friday prayers. You know of this? Yeah. Well, now then, some people would say in the United States in particular, well, that's freedom of religion. They need to pray, so therefore they can pray. Hmm. But watch very closely what is going on here. Prayer is religious. Commandeering the street and shutting down the traffic is a political action because it breaks the law. It affects me. Their prayers don't affect me, but when I can't drive down the street because they're praying, yeah. I call that a political effect. Mm. Because, Peter, let me assure you that if you and I went downtown today and blocked off the traffic, we would meet some men dressed in blue who did not have a sense of humor. Yeah. And they would tell us, here's a ticket. It's a civil, it's a civil fine. You have to pay it. But Muslims don't have to do that. Yeah. So it's the political part I object to. I object to their commandeering the street. I object to their dictating what's in textbooks. Hmm. And let me say, by the way, that when you deal with Islam, let me, let me, let me praise Muhammad. Muhammad was the greatest warrior who ever lived. He created a whole new form of war, civilizational war, in which anything, a headscarf, prayer in the streets, uh, halal food in prisons, uh, there's absolutely nothing that is in our civilization that Islam cannot use against us our courts of law, our democratic system. So Muhammad created a form of war, which also, get this, 
It's still going on 1400 years later. Caesar's dead. No one dies for Alexander the Great, but someone died because of Muhammad today and will die again tomorrow. So he was the greatest warrior who ever lived. He was pure military genius because he saw wars being much more than military. Mm. Oh, absolutely. C can I ask you about, uh, as I thought of this speaking today, a, a verse, um, as a Christian, a verse came into my mind as a verse from James that said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do as it says, or as the King James says, be doers of the word, not only hearers. And I think that in generally in our culture today, information becomes entertainment and people listen, they hear a lot, but actually there's little action. And um, I think that's uh, in this whole area of understanding Islam. Um, I, I think that's also your experience that you engage, that you present, and people want to listen to the information. But the step of actually action is is too much for most people. Do you want to address that and the response you've had over the decades from people who you've spoken to? Well, when I first started speaking, people were just there to hear. Mm. And finally, a new thing developed. What are we going to do? Now, I reached the conclusion early on that there are very few individuals that will speak against Islam. Yep. Robert Spencer, David Wood, other such people, yep. apostate prophet. They will speak against Islam as individuals, mm -hmm. but they are, as we say in the country here, rare as hen's teeth. Yep. What we need is a group. And that's what I'm working on now, is that that's the reason, well, the, the way the story goes, I received a phone call from a man who said, my name is Milan Polipny, I'm from Czech Republic, and I would like to start a center for the study of political Islam in Europe, can I do so? I had created the term and had a website with that on it, but I had done nothing about it. And so I said, sure. He sounded young, and so I was like, whatever. Well, lo and behold, he was an, he's an organizational genius. Mm. And so although he was only 24 when he called me, and I have no objection to young people, I used to be one. People don't believe that. <laughs> so he has put together a Center for the Study of Political Islam International. The reasoning goes like this. Political Islam is a global problem, and it demands an international solution. As a matter of fact, we even saw this manifested just once in Europe, when the head of Austria said to Macron of France, we must team up on this issue of Islam. No one nation can defeat Islam. Hmm. So it's, it's the group that we need now. And that's what we're in the middle of doing. We're now soliciting people. Milan's other idea was not to start doing things and then have the organization fall in, but create the organization first. So that when people start to work, they have a way of communicating with each other. They have other people to work with. And so we even have a human director for human resources because you need to keep up with people. Hmm. So it's an organization that we're trying to create now because in, as individuals, we will never defeat an organization. And Islam is highly organized. We have the Muslim Brotherhood. We have the Ummah. So in order to beat an army, you need to bring an army to field. The favorite American myth you see in the movies, Clint Eastwood typifies this, is there is evil in the land. A good man who's tough and moral rides into the city and then through the combination of courage and skill gets rid of the bad guys. 
Ever heard this before? Hmm. Yeah. So that won't work with Islam. Hmm. I mean, look at Robert Spencer. He's tried as hard as he can. Yeah. If we had, if we, if Robert Spencer and me and others quadrupled the amount of output we had, it wouldn't change the outcome. Hmm. So we have to have ways for people to work together. That's our next step. And if we do not do this, we will be defeated. Let me bring up the that page. That's the um, the Center for the Study of Political Islam, which is there, and that's what people will find when they go on to that. And uh, on the About section, you can see um, there's a leadership team. There's Milan, as you talked about him, uh, and Nicolette at the bottom. So you're you're building a a team there. And what will people going on the website? What um, obviously they can sign up. They can get updates. Um, yeah, what will kind of what will people find? What's available to them? Uh, what should they take away? Right now, we're building the organization, and we're beginning to build it here in the United States as well. We have some form of organization in over a dozen countries. Mm. After we get the organization put together, only then will we start doing activist work. So it's a little unusual. We're going to build an organization, then we're going to do something. We're not going to run out and try handing out brochures at churches and having an email correspondence with each other. So we now have community software. It's critical that people be able to easily talk with other people who have similar needs and wants. So we've developed a highly skillful, what I call community software, so that people can work together who are strangers. Mm. So that's where we are. When when we look, I mean, I, I talked to a politician last week, uh, Peter Beistrand from the Alternative for Deutschland in Germany, and um, they have done well in the German elections, and they are a party that opposes further Islamization of Germany. You've got other uh, pockets of hope politically in, in Europe. Uh, for the US, I've, uh, yeah, I, I despair. But when you look politically, there is that hope. Where do you see that kind of that hope, that pushback coming from? Is it politically? Is it NGOs? Is it purely through education, people on the ground? Uh, where do you see it coming from? Well, as much as I've disparaged people from not doing something, I'm a little harsh. There are people who realize that we have serious problems. I've spoken with the leadership of AFD, for instance, in Germany. Uh, there are people who want to do something. Hmm. However, the people in AFD are simply people who've learned about Islam through the same way that everybody else does on the web and by through mm. books. They're not organized directly to oppose Islam exclusively. What we want to bring to the table is, in a, is a organization that has only one purpose, to educate about political Islam. And that's what we're about. We're about education. This is an ideological war. And you may say, well, war is a strong word to use. Well, I say when you're trying to defend your civilization's existence, it is war. Hmm. So we need to be a specialist in this field, but we need to work with politicians. Yeah. One of the things, one of the most best learning experiences I've ever had was trying to bring about some laws about Sharia law here in the state of Tennessee. I live in the capital, Nashville, and doing lobbyist work with a professional hmm. lobbyist. It was very informative. That was the reason I wrote the book, Sharia Law for Non-Muslims, as a little thin book. By the way, that book used to be the number one bestseller on Amazon on Islamic law. Wow. But once there was a meeting in 
Media Matters down in Florida, the George Soros Group, the Southern Poverty Law Center said, we've tried shaming these people, but they don't submit to shame. We need to drive them out of business. In less than two weeks time, my book disappeared off of Amazon. It used to be if you Google the term political Islam, the first three screens were all mine. Hmm. The reason was I had invented the term. Well, two thirds of those went away. Hmm. I was demon. One time YouTube contacted me before back in the early days and said, you have a, you're growing a large audience, but you don't know what you're doing about making videos. We would like to assign somebody to help you make videos so that you know better how to do it. So for six weeks time, I was the only person in America who could pick up a phone, call somebody at YouTube and have somebody answer who knew who I was and answer my questions directly that disappeared. Hmm. So the most powerful weapon the enemy has against us is not argument. As a matter of fact, there's very little argument that goes on. I challenge anybody because I'm a scientist and what we do is fact-based reasoning. So I enjoy being challenged, but more instead of being challenged, we're simply censored. But this isn't the only subject that we're censored on. As an American, I'm horrified by what I've seen happen to my country. It used to be that freedom of speech was something that was like the air you breathed. Mm. And now then they've redefined freedom of speech to be, well, you can say anything you want, but you can't offend anybody who's on the official minority list. Yeah. You know, we're um, excited. We are facing the same restrictions here in the UK and, and across Europe. So um, hate speech and hate crimes are the, the main issue and uh, those who get easily offended. Um, can I, I, I mean, I, I spent a year and a half I mean, traveling across the UK in churches, talking to churches about, and we, we call the, um, the, the roadshow, can we talk about Islam? And I was sh- I was shocked at most people, the vast majority, 90% I spoke to had never heard anything about Islam. They just thought it was just a, an offshoot of Christianity, uh, another Abrahamic faith. And um, they really didn't know anything and had never thought about it critically, even though uh, Muhammad denies Christ, the very central tenet of Christianity. So, but that didn't, uh, hadn't connected with them. Um, so I was quite shocked. Church at what? Again, going back to your experience as you have engaged, um, I I always thought, well, it's okay. The, the church will take the lead on these big issues in society. Uh, that's not happening in the UK. It's not happening in Europe. We have a, a church that is weak on many issues, and this is just one of them. Um, where, again, whenever you engage, um, you have a positive response, and then you're waiting, you're waiting, and not a lot comes from that. So, again, go back and give us kind of an insight into when you've engaged with different groups, whether it be churches, whether it be political groups. Um, Let's talk about churches. Yeah. First off, I point out that there's a history between Christianity and Islam that most people are not aware of. As a scientist, I was amazed when I started studying Islam, the questions that had not been asked. One of these questions was, how many people have died in jihad over the last 1400 years? Now, it used to be, I don't know if they still do or not, it used to be that you could ask someone how many Jews did Hitler kill, and they could give you a number. How many people did Stalin kill? They could maybe give you a number. How many people did Mao Zedong kill? They maybe could give you a number. But no one had ever asked the question. Hmm. Now, think about that. Hmm. In 1,400 years, no one ever asked the question. So I created a, a little spreadsheet I call the Tears of Jihad, 
Now, these are very rough estimates. 120 million Africans, 60 million Hindu, 60 million Christians, 80 million Hindus have all died in jihad. These are large numbers, hmm. and yet no one seems to know them or care about them. So I explained to Christians that they have been battered and beaten under Islam. You'd be astounded at the number of Christians who don't know that Iraq used to be Christian. Mm. Egypt used to be Christian. Yep. North Africa used to be Christian. Syria. For that matter, Persia was, was half Christian. Mm. And so, but Christians don't know this. Then I ask every church I ever talked to two questions. My first question to you is this. How many Muslims do you, have you uh, converted to, to the church? Let me ask you that question in a different form. How many Muslims have you tried to convert to the church? The answer is zero. Mm. I said, what have you done to support the Christians who are brutalized in Islamic lands in the Middle East and Africa? They do nothing. Mm. I said, I maintain that your scriptures tell you that you're supposed to care for the persecuted Christian. Am I wrong? True. No. My, I, my understanding of the scriptures is, is that you're supposed to preach the gospel, go into the wall of the world and preach the gospel. Have you done this? No, you haven't. So my question to you is, if you believe what's in your scriptures, what are you doing? Mm. What are you doing? And how come you're not changing it? What has happened is, is that Marxism has moved into the churches. Yep. And now then what we have is political correctness and the abortion of them all, the woke church. Mm. And the reason is people don't want to, well, I knew a rabbi that tried speaking out at his congregation and they told him either you shut up about Islam or you won't have a job. So people don't want to know. And the reason is we've, if I need to raise an army, I will not go into the rich portion of Tennessee to get it. I'll go into the poorest parts of the nation because the poorest people make the best soldiers. The wealthy, nah, not so much. But I don't know who we're going to go to on this, but we have to have groups. And so, like I say, our uh, subject is how do we create a group that people could join? Because I think there are people who would like to fight, but they're not going to create an organization. They're not going to do that. Hmm. I mean, there are others. I've I watched one of your uh, videos um, that you did in 2016 on on da the Dave Rubin show. Um, Dave Rubin obviously is uh, growing in popularity as a, a commentator on the right. Um, I, I've seen Stephen Crowder again with a very big following. Uh, um, you've had maybe a million watches program every day, um, engaging on the issues of Islam. So you have those commentators. So it's I mean you've been obviously talking about this, not only in closed groups, but very publicly on big platforms. Um, and I'm wondering, will it take an, an event? I mean, we, we had a big event in 9-11 in and people maybe woke up for, I don't know, a matter of minutes or maybe, maybe a few months um, and then that dissipated away. D does it take a big shock event for people to, to wake up? I don't know. Here's a shock event. A minor one, but a shock event. 
of the Afghan refugees that are coming in, some have child brides. Yeah. Now you would think, you would think that I'm gonna use the term feminist. I'm not even sure that applies anymore. But women's rights people would say, no, you cannot have a child bride here in America. But no one wants to offend. For instance, if the Muslim Brotherhood says we should never recognize 9-11, September, the word, attack on the World Trade Towers again. Why? Because it makes Muslims feel unwanted. In other words, what they're saying is we should change history, bury history, because it offends some people. Well, I'm never rude, but if the truth, if the truth offends you, you need to stay away from me. And yet we have the first report on 9-11, the words Jihad, Islam, and Muslim appeared. The final report, those words do not appear. Wow. Why do we lose in Afghanistan? Well, General Stanton, we had 18 generals in 20 years in Afghanistan. That's a bad sign within itself. General Stanley McChrystal, who was supposed to be one super warrior, wrote a paper called A Strategic Plan to Win in Afghanistan. I read his report, hmm. his proposal. There was not one mention of the word Islam, not one mention of the word Jihad, not one mention of the word Muslim. So how well is this plan going to work? Because here's the question. Who is the enemy? What is their war doctrine? But General Stanley McChrystal couldn't tell us that. Hmm. Wow. Why? Because they didn't teach it at West Point. The State Department doesn't know it. They don't teach it in the universities. This is a subject that no one wants to talk about. And so as a result, they don't talk about it. A friend of mine, I have several students, and this one is a retired FBI agent. He was speaking with some younger agents. He said, would you like to know about political Islam? And they were horrified. No, we don't want to know anything about political Islam. He said, why not? They said, if we talk about Islam, we'll lose our jobs or we'll never get promoted. So that's what it's like at the top. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to. Do you think Joe Biden would sit down and have a conversation with me about Islam? For that matter, uh, Trump wouldn't either. Mm. Trump mm. knows very little about Islam, except he doesn't like it. So he has a feeling response, but yep. he has no knowledge of it at all. Mm. And by the way, when Trump was elected, the volunteer spirit, the activist spirit just completely went out of people. They thought, okay, Trump's in charge, he'll take care of this. Wrong answer. Oh, exactly. What What is it? I mean, I I remember I remember that first hour when I um, I first engaged at all with Islam, and at the end of that, it was well, we need to do something uh, as a Christian. I need to take up arms and fight. I mean, we need to do something, and uh, suddenly you realize we are in a fight, and we need to respond. Um, and I'm, how do you get people to, to that point? I think, uh, I'm asking, um, that... well, first you need to give them a technique. Hmm. Here, here's an example of a brilliant technique. This man is a, a rocket scientist worked, used to work for Boeing and he's, re, he's retired. He takes a, what we used to call a card table. It's about four foot by four foot with folding legs. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And, and a lot of brochures to the shopping malls in Carolina and not Carolina, California. Now it turns out that in the shopping malls in the food court areas, they have been defined 
and by the Supreme Court of California to be public areas, hence public speech. So he takes his card table, some posters, a bunch of brochures, and goes out with two other people and hands out brochures at the, at the uh, shopping center. How much money does that take? Well, it, it turns out it takes a few thousand dollars because he gives away 100,000 brochures every year. Muslims come by to argue with him, which he enjoys. I wrote a book on how to argue about Islam called Factual Persuasion. He said, Bill, I've never been presented with an argument by a Muslim. The solution wasn't found in your book. Mm. So what am I saying here? What we need is a way to take this Steve's work, and this is what we're interested in in our organization, and making it so that everybody all over the world knows how to use this technique. Because you don't need to know that much. You just need to know what's in the brochures. And these brochures are simple and direct. So here's an example of taking somebody who wants to do something and giving them a technique and to give them leadership and to giving them partners mm -hmm. so that when they come off of a bad day at the mall, they can get in touch with other people who are doing this and say, well, I had this happen to me today. What do we do about this? So mm -hmm. there are people who want to do something. Now, luckily, there's a, a sort of rule of thumb about changing nations or large groups. If 10% of a, of a population hold firmly to an idea, it can prevail as long as they hold firmly. Hmm. And you study the American Revolution, it turns out we want almost no battles. Almost no battles. Yet we won because we wouldn't go away. Ho Chi Minh in, North, in Vietnam said, we will defeat the United States because of two reasons. We will attack in the universities by persuasion, and we will simply not give up. We don't have, ever have to win. We just have to fight long enough to let go, go away. In Afghanistan, what had happened? 20 years later, we, came, we went away. That's one of the things I admire about Islam, is they're always optimistic. One of the things that disappoints me about kafirs, and I use the Arabic word for the unbeliever because that's what the Quran uses, is I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? Well, uh, the thing about kafirs is that we are afraid. We are fearful. Um, right. Muslims are passionate. Uh, so they and they We are not. What happens is when you listen to the kafirs, they're always doing some sort of discouraging talk. Oh, Sweden is lost. France mm. is gone. Muslims never speak like that. Yeah. They're always optimistic. And so one of the things we need to teach people how to do is how to have some sort of optimism because your attitude does affect how you play the game. And we need to play like winners. That means we need to think like winners, plan like winners. Don't whine and complain about how the Muslim Brotherhood got there before you. Come up with arguments when you're going to see the legislator of the Muslim Brotherhood's already been there, that you have your own arguments so that you can defeat them. Because we have all the facts on our side, if we will stand and fight. Well, I think we we really need is that, is that confidence because I, I know from engaging with people on Islam, they will come to you and they will say, "Oh, um, uh, this this is very concerning. I agree, but 
my, I'm busy with my life and if I engage on this, if I put my head up, I mean, we had Bosch Faustin on Monday interviewed Bosch who draws Muhammad, probably has drawn Muhammad more than any other cartoons in the world. Um, One and man. had so many death threats. But, and he, his line is, we just have to be bold. We have to be people who will stand up and use the, the tools, use the abilities they've been given to be able to push back. Um, and somehow we need to inject that boldness and confidence into people so they can push back on this. Exactly. It's interesting. I've learned a lot doing this and I've done this. This is what I do every day. My days never change. It's always the same thing. Um, the, uh, what are your, as what are your thoughts for the organization? Cause I'm, I'm fascinated because I, I'm fascinated by something that wants to connect across countries and not just one single country. Um, I had an interview with uh, Lutz Bachmann, who runs a street movement in Germany called Pegida that has pushed back into the Islamization there. And that has been successful in Germany. But I'm, I'm excited about what you're setting up because it's not just a single country, but actually it's across the board. And also, even though you're based in the States, you're looking at Europe. And I sometimes worry that uh, great commentators in the States um, have forgotten about us here in Europe. And I, I so I, I'm excited about how you want to engage in, in Europe and, and fight for uh, the freedoms here instead of just looking at the States. Well, we also want to do it in uh, India, Africa. We want to do it everywhere. It is a global problem. That is not some sort of PR stretch of the meaning of the word. It is global. And so we need to, do, to fight against it. And we have some secret agents that we can use as well. I'm having figured out, I'm beginning to study how we can use them. And that's the former Muslim. Mm. Do you want to talk about courageous people? Do you have courageous people there? Like Boss Faustian. Mm. Okay, like Sam Solomon. These mm. people are courageous because they're apostates. Now, you would think that when they want to bring something into the country which says we can kill you if you leave the religion, that civil rights people would be in an outrage, outrage about this. But no, I mean, you know what, you know what's killing us? Nice. Nice is killing us. When I'm talking to Christians, I say this. Jesus was a kind man, but he was not a nice man. He offended the many and powerful. Yeah. And I said, if you're not offending someone powerful today, what are you doing in a church? So I'm a harsh critic. I agree. It's it's a it's a fear of offense which has overtaken any desire for truth, and we need to flip that in our society. And by the way, I'm not a rude person. I never raise my voice. What you're seeing here on this interview is what you'll see if you come hear me talk. I never. I never ever criticize Muslims. Hmm. I never criticize Muhammad. Let me show you what I mean. There's a hadith in which he married Aisha when she was six and consummated the marriage when she was nine. I do not say that makes him a pedophile. Hmm. I never bring that up. Hmm. I just say that I've just put those facts out. You deal with them as you will. So I never denigrate Muslims. I never denigrate Muhammad. I never say the Quran is ridiculous or something like that. I merely say it has these contradictions and you need to understand the contradictions so that you can understand the Quran. So I am a bold man, but I'm a polite man. In the early days when I started this, I had some anxiety for, for my own life. 
And after a while, by the way, you just get over that. But a Coptic Christian said to me, he says, you do not have to worry for two reasons. Number one, you never insult Muhammad. You never say anything bad about a Muslim. And the other thing is, you're popular enough now that killing you would create a political problem. Hmm. Hmm. And he said, oh, and the other part he put is, he said, and this is true, the Quran commands only one reason to to accept the kafir, and that is when he's stronger than you. So Muslims, it turned out, love the bold man. They love the strong horse. When you try to placate them, they have no respect for that. So anyway, so I get respect because I'm not rude. I get respect mm. because I'm bold. I get respect because I never insult or do anything like that. I'm always polite. I'm firm, but polite. Well, on that, I think I will um, bring us to a close and I will leave. Uh, I I want our viewers to, um, to give them a, a short interview because I, I really do want them to go uh, to your website. They're all on the bottom there, including the Rumble link for the videos. Everything to our viewers is in the description. So wherever you're watching, you can click on those links. And I really would encourage you to go uh, to sign up get the newsletters, get the information, watch the videos, educate yourself, and then think, how do you play your part in the next step? So each of us have a a part to play in this. If you want to stand up for um, your culture, uh, your country, your country mates, then um, think what you can do. But certainly go away, get yourself educated, and go on to Dr. Bill's websites, watch the videos, um, and then think of how you can play your part. So... Um, Dr. Bill Warner, thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful with you. Thank you. It's been been a very pleasant. I have a rule of thumb. If you and I enjoy the interview, the viewer will also enjoy it. And I've enjoyed this. I, I have I've enjoyed the last couple of interviews I've done a lot. So it is it's wonderful. You're right to speak to someone, but also to to enjoy the dialogue back and forward. So thank you for your time. Um, and again, we will uh, follow your work of course as i have done but our viewers can also do that um let me just finish off with our viewers uh, you can watch this it's a pre-record so you can watch it on any of the video channels including gab including uh well rumble we know live stream including bitches of course it's up on the website heartsfolk.org forward slash live stream and if you don't get our newsletter do go to the website click on that connect tab put in your email address and sign up for that email after you've done for uh, for Bill's website. So go to cspii.org and click on that, do that. And while you're doing that, also sign up to Heart of Oak. So, and if you've enjoyed the video, please do um, not only subscribe to whatever platform you're on, but also do share the video, do pass it around, do encourage people to Uh, educate themselves to listen to what Bill is sharing about the work he is doing and encourage others to jump in and get involved. There's no point in you uh, enjoying the information, enjoying the interview and not passing it on. So be part of that process and do pass it on to others. Um, And on that, I'll wish our viewers a wonderful rest of your day. And once again, Bill, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you. Let's do it again. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. For more information, books, videos, and podcasts, go to www.politicalislam.com. Thank you.
Thanks for listening. If you would like to learn more, please go to politicalislam.com or cspii.org.